Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Detroit News Assistant Sports Editor Mark Faulkner, joined by our Red Wings beat reporter Ted Colfin. And coming up, we'll hear from former Red Wing and Hall of Famer Mark Howe. But first, Ted, the Red Wings at midseason. Your midterm grades are out, and they're available at DetroitNews.com and in today's paper. And overall, you gave Jeff Blaschel and his coaching staff a B minus. Steve Eiserman got a B plus. So from a team standpoint, the team would probably get a B grade too, right? Because they're one game over 500 at 18, 17, and five heading into tomorrow night's game against Dallas. Well, I tell you, Mark, I mean, I, I, I don't think either of us or I don't think many people would mm-hmm. have expected this team would be one game over 500 at the halfway point. I think it's, I don't want to, astonishing is a big word, but I'm, I think it's very surprising. I mean, I don't think anybody would have suspected that. They've done a good job up to this point. They've mm-hmm. done the best yeah. of them. They've won games. They're on the fringe of a playoff spot. I mean, it's it would it's tough sledding, but it would, they're on the fringe of a playoff spot. You see the development of many young players. I think overall it's been a fairly successful mm-hmm. first would you agree? Oh, absolutely, Ted. You know, looking at the wild card standings, yeah, it's a long shot. But the Red Wings are five points, yeah, five points behind Boston, and, and the Bruins have four games now in hand. Ted, uh, looking at your grades, uh, starting in goal, let's hear from Alex Nedeljkovic. He's seventh in the NHL, seventh overall in save percentage at 918. He's 12, 10, 0, and 4, and he shut out the Sabres on Saturday night, and then he was a star in Monday's 3-2 overtime win in Buffalo. Here's Nadelkovich, who you gave a B-plus grade to. Hey Alex, when you were talking about your season and stuff, I mean, is it is it just been some bounces that have been going your way against you or some goals that you really haven't liked or what? I mean... I mean, yeah, you never like the bad bounces. There's nothing you can do about it. I mean, every, everybody goes goes through those things, you know. For me, it's it obviously they end up in as a goal against, you know, for forwards, it might be whatever a shot that's going in, it gets deflected or something like that. You know, like those things you can't control, you know, you're going to get bad bounces. For me, it, it's more of like the, the, the fundamentals, the simple things, the, the, the pucks that can't go in, pucks from behind the net, um, you, you know, pucks from, from the wall or from the blue line, from a distance where, you kind of see it the whole way or you see it most of the way and you just, they go straight in things like that, you know, trying to um, clean up some areas like that and uh, just fundamentally be sound every night. Has it been an adjustment going to a new team that way? I mean, a different system and all that, or has that been pretty seamless? Yeah. At the start of the year, it was a little bit of an adjustment, but after probably five, 10 games, you know, you, you, we, we practice it almost every day and we were doing it for two weeks there in training camp and, and preseason. So um, now it, obviously it's, 
just kind of second nature. You know the system. So it, it's about just focusing on yourself and, and doing your job. So, Ted, did you think Nadelkovich was going to be this good? We've talked about this before. In Carolina last year, that was a much bigger, deeper defensive core. Also one of the best penalty-killing units in the league. Just the other night, the Hurricanes had killed off 35 straight until the Bruins scored a goal. Now here in Detroit, as Jeff Blaschel has noted, the defensive core is deeper. And if you take a look at that defensive core, there's Mark Stahl at plus six, Gustav Lindstrom at plus two, Marit Sider at plus one, Danny DeKaiser at minus six, Philip Hironik at minus 10, and Nick Letty at minus 19. Given this defense, how good has the season been for Nedeljkovich? He's done, he's been very consistent. He shakes off bad goals. He shakes off bad games. I think he's been, I don't want to say a revelation. That's too much. But here's a, coming in, I think a lot of people had question marks whether mm-hmm. how well he would adjust to this club compared to what he played in front of in Carolina. But I think he's done just fine. Uh, he's There's no question with his plays taken over the starters role. I mean, Jeff Blaschel more or less said so last week. He's the number one, but surprised, maybe mildly surprised, but mm-hmm. he was the Calder tree. He was a Calder trophy finalist last year. So he had a good season, but yes, like you said, he played in front of a really good team, but he's come over here and he's helped this club become a better team. So Ted, your final marks on defense were DeKaiser D plus, Stahl C plus, Osterle and Letty C's, Ronick B minus, Lindstrom a B, and Sider an A. Stetcher was incomplete, and Grice, the other goalie, got a C minus. Were there any surprises, Ted, on defense? DeKaiser got the worst mark, and Sider got the best, of course. DeKaiser's been a disappointment, I think. You still wonder how he's recovering from that back surgery a couple years, a year and a half ago, I guess, approximately. Still, he seems like he hasn't really come all the way back. Sure. I think Letty's, Nick Letty's been a mild disappointment, too. I think more was expected of him primarily on the power play. He just hasn't sparked the offense as much. But I'll tell you one mild surprise. Well, okay, more Cider we've talked about a lot. He's done a really mm-hmm. nice job, obviously. But one man who's really done a nice job and doesn't get the headlines is Mark Stahl. I think mm-hmm. Mark's done a very good job. He's just, you know, at this point in his career, he's a very solid defensive defenseman, but he can jump up into play every once in a while. I think he's a good influence in the locker room. I think he's a guy that, you know, I think he's a guy who could stick around here another year. He, he's just, he's playing well. He seems to like it here. He's a, he's been a nice addition to that defense the last couple seasons. Ted, we'll get to the forwards shortly, but first let's hear from today's guest, Mark Howe, the Hall of Fame defenseman who entered his playing career with the Red Wings. Joining us now is Mark Howe, the Red Wings' former director of pro scouting, who is part of four Stanley Cup titles in Detroit in 1997, 1998, 2002, and 2008. He's also a former NHL player for 16 years and six more years in the WHA and a Hall of Fame inductee who delivered one of the most memorable induction speeches in 2011 when his father, the legendary Gordie Howe, 
was looking on from the audience in Toronto. Mark, welcome to the podcast. And before we talk about your night in Toronto back in 2011, I want to start with Ken Holland's induction speech almost 10 years later to the day this past Monday. Ken, of course, was the architect of your Ford championship teams, but he was quick to credit so many people who played key roles, the Illiches, Jimmy DiBolano, Steve Eiserman, Neil Smith. Mark, he mentioned you, of course, but he also mentioned longtime scouts like Dan Belisle, who played an important role in your transition from playing career to scouting. So what was it like working with Dan Belisle? Uh, well, first, it was a pleasure. So, uh, you know, anybody that knows Danny, uh, mm. You know what a like just a wonderful uh, person he is, and um, so yeah. When, so I broke in. So uh, you know, I, they started me watching the IHL, mm-hmm. um, and then I think uh, I went in to meet Jimmy Devilano. It was probably in December, uh, my first year, and I went in and uh, I said, Jimmy, can you get me some real work? Like I so I got my <laughs> I got my hunger back, and um, you know, and, and, and there is an adjustment period after playing, uh, all those years. And, sure. uh, so then, uh, then I had the opportunity to rather than just be on my own, I started to cross over, do some American league, started to do some NHL stuff. Um, so then I got to interact with Danny a little bit more and, uh, but Danny, I like Danny's a great social guy. So, I mean, you, you go out, you have a couple of drinks together, you, um, uh, you know, you're having dinners together and, uh, then, you know, eventually, you know, some games we would sit and if we had a disagreement on a guy, we'd actually go to the same game, sit together. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I just, I really enjoyed his company, but, but I, I think what I really appreciated the most, uh, about Danny was, uh, uh, he had a great instinct on players. He had a great read. And I know t- in today's game, everything is so much more specific. The reports are two to three hours long, the, the details. Sure. Uh, Danny didn't have the details, but he had the great instincts and a feel for uh, for so many of the players that we acquired. And, um, you know, I, I think maybe I knew some of the more, more of the X's and O's and some of the different things because he'd been away from coaching and uh, a little bit. And once you get away from him, it's a little more difficult, but and it was hard. I mean, there was, there was only two guys. So with Danny and myself, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know, I think there was 28, 30 NHL team, 26, whatever there was at the time. Well, then you have that many Americans. So I did, I did every American league team myself. And uh, then I also catch the NHL. And I think when I first started, I used to do right around 130 games a year. Um, and with uh, 60 teams, I mean, a lot of times you you would book and go in for a weekend and hopefully to catch catch mm-hmm. a team and catch their NHL uh, affiliate. And if, uh, you know, and if a guy was hurt and didn't play with it, you'd have to try to find time again and you're working your schedule. But uh, yeah, you, and you, you work your way into the job and, okay. uh, but I, but I strongly believe like anybody else, if you're, uh, if you're passionate about what you do, you you care about what you do, you pride it, you take pride in your job. Uh, to me, that's the driving force, uh, behind being a good scout. Mark, I asked Jimmy D also about the circumstances of you coming to Detroit after all those successful years in Philadelphia. We were talking earlier, you were at the Flyers alumni game on Monday and Paul Holmgren and Rick Tockett were inducted into the Flyers Hall of Fame on Tuesday, two of the best power forwards ever. You guys went to two cup finals. You had, uh, you were a runner up to the Norris three times behind defensemen like Paul Coffey and Rod Langway. 
you were plus 85 one year. And Bobby Clark said you could have put up bigger offensive numbers, but you were more valuable with your overall game. So Jimmy said, uh, Mark, there were three factors uh, with you coming to Detroit. He said free agents, like you really weren't a big risk with the wings. He felt you had a lot of gas still in the tank. He also wanted you to win your first cup back in the city where your dad won four Stanley Cups and where you used to skate at the old Olympia. And Jimmy D also said, Mark, that he wanted to right a wrong with the way your dad was treated at the end of his career by previous regimes. At the time, though, you would have preferred going to Pittsburgh. But in hindsight, Mark, how happy are you that you did return to Detroit? Well, without a doubt, so my, I mean, I've always stated that had I, had I won a cup in, uh, in one of those years in Philadelphia, I, mm. I would have never left because I, I, I loved it, uh, playing on that team, the organization, um, uh, but that wasn't the case. So uh, I said, well, everybody's dream uh, as a player, as far as I know, is, is to win a Stanley Cup. There is no other dream. Um, so uh, I, I put four teams down on a list, and I said, I'm gonna, I'm, if I'm leaving, I'm going to one of these four. If I can't get to there, then I'll stay in Philadelphia. And, uh, yeah, my, uh, I, I felt Pittsburgh was the best team in the league. And uh, I, so that, that's why it was my first choice. I mean, they had Mario, Mario and the list went on and on. And, uh, but Pittsburgh I never, ever returned the phone call. <laughs> and uh, so cause I remember sitting – I remember uh, in Detroit we had an exhibition game against them next year. And uh, I asked Craig Patrick, I said, Craig, why didn't, you, why didn't you call me back? And he said, well, we figured we couldn't afford you. I said, well, it wasn't <laughs> about money. It was about trying to win a championship. And uh, so then, uh, then it came down to uh, the Rangers uh, gave me a one-year offer, the Lou, no or, uh, Lou Lamarillo. Um, in Jersey said, Hey, if you're seriously going to New York, you make sure you call me. And, uh, but my second choice was to go to Detroit. I knew the city. Sure. Um, uh, I knew there's uh, their talent level. You could see their team was coming together. Uh, so I knew the potential was there. I felt I had two years left in my career. I wish I had a lot left in the tank as Jimmy D said, but, um, mm -hmm. but I, you know, I, I think Jimmy brought in some veteran players like myself, Brad McCrimmon, some different guys to, uh, maybe try to uh, try to help maybe provide a little bit of leadership with some of the younger players and uh, they had you know with Vladdy and, and uh, Nick coming along so uh, Brad and I got to play with both of those guys and uh, but yeah my uh, so I, I knew the city of Detroit I, I knew it was going to be great for mm -hmm. my family I had three kids at the time but uh yeah, I was uh, disappointed we didn't win, but as it turns out, like obviously, there's no way it could have been a better decision. I mean, the uh, I, I got to spend all those uh, all those years from '92 till uh, till June 30th of this year, and and you know they wanted more. I just I I, I just got tired, but um, yeah, what a great organization. The Illich family is. Uh, uh, take a backseat to nobody as far as ownership and quality of people. And uh, yeah, what I probably respect the most is I, when, you know, when I was going through difficult situations when my mom passed, especially when my dad passed, mm -hmm. uh, they, they, they opened up their wallets. They opened up things to how, and the biggest, I guess, when dad passed is we wanted to be able to share that with the world. Uh, you know, I think uh, the hockey world uh, deserved to be a part of that. And uh, it would have never happened without the Illich family. So, um, you know, and 
had I gone somewhere else, different organization, I doubt those things would have happened. So those are the things I, uh, you know, they had nothing to do with uh, money in my pocket. It had nothing to do with hockey. It has to do with the people and the quality of people that they are. And uh, those are the things I respect the most. Mark, one question about those Flyers teams. Game seven against the Oilers, May 31st, 1987. And to put the game into context, you were up against seven future Hall of Famers. Kevin Lowe is just inducted on Monday. Gretzky, Messier, Anderson, Curry, Coffey, and Fewer. And you guys were the youngest team in hockey. Prop and Zezel, Poulin, Tockett, Sutter. Tim Kerr was hurt in game six against the Islanders. You were back on defense. You mentioned McCrimmon, Crossman, Marsh. Your coach, Iron Mike Keenan, in your induction speech, you said there were times when you wanted to slash him, but you said he helped raise the bar. There's one Keenan story you told once about your trainer, Dave Settlemeyer, Sudsy, coming up with a list of three or four players who probably shouldn't practice that day because of various bumps and bruises. And then minutes later, the door comes flying open, and there's Mike Keenan yelling right in the face of Ilka Sinisalo, to get back on the ice or else. Ilka had a couple of 70-point seasons and set up Kerr on that power play. So game seven, though, Mark, in Edmonton, you described the uh, three-to-one loss. That game is devastating. You couldn't imagine hurting any more from one loss. You were actually down 3-1 in the series, and the wins came when the Flyers were down 3-0, 3-1, and 2-0 when J.J. Daniel scored an OT in Game 6. But I'm just wondering what your thoughts are going back to Game 7 against the Oilers in Edmonton. Well, when I, and actually, uh, Mike Keenan was uh, in Philadelphia here uh, uh, for the induction for a home. I'm going to talk it. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit, and somebody somebody else was asking, and I was within earshot. And, Sure. Uh, Mike was saying our, our biggest loss, obviously, was not having Timmy Kerr. I, I know in my mind, I always felt in a series, you got to win four games. Uh, generally, you need your goalie to win one. And I know in our, our case in Philadelphia, we always counted on Timmy Kerr. <laughs> Timmy Kerr would have that one game. So that I said, so that's two wins right there. I said, if the other 18 guys can muster up uh, two more victories, we actually can win this thing. And uh, but yeah, we were we were beat, and they they were a great team. I'm not taking in, and they were as great a team as I think as I've ever seen them. And in, in the the Islander Cup teams uh, were the best teams that I played against. And um, but yeah, they uh, they came to play that day. I know in the first period we had them on the ropes a little bit. Grant Fuhr made a couple of great saves, uh, and then they scored. And then by if anybody watches that game from the second and third period on. Uh, I'm not sure we touched the puck, and uh, that they just proved how great they were, and they yeah. they took over that game. Ron Hextall kept us in it, but um, yeah, I mean, if there's anything I would have wished, uh, and, and I was I was uh, really badly hurt, so I, I had a Charlie Horse where I normally would not, uh, would have not have been playing, and mm. Dave Poulin had broken ribs, and he was getting injections every day just to try to go out and play and take face offs and. Uh, I know they had some injuries, but we, yeah, we had some uh, devastating injuries. I was on crutches for three, four days, and uh, you know, then you get a few needles. You kind of, you do what you got to do, and uh, so I was playing maybe at about 50, 60 percent. But you're still out there, you're trying, and mm. uh, but yeah, the bottom line from that game is, hey, they were champions for a reason. Uh, they came out, they really took it to us for two periods. Uh, uh, Hexy, like I said, held the fort. We needed Hexy to. Uh, to make three more saves, we would have won that game. But 
Um, yeah, but it was it was a great series. Uh, the group of guys that I played with, uh, we uh, even last night. So I was with uh, eight or nine of the guys last night, and uh, Pally Acklin included four from Sweden. And uh, it's as tight a group of guys I ever played with. And uh, you know, I, and I think that was probably the. Uh, the biggest reason that, you know, I think our heads, uh, our team had success, not the ultimate success, but, um, but we were a great, great group of guys. We all played for each other. And, uh, you know, those were some of my fondest years in hockey. Mark, in your induction speech, you mentioned your dear friend, Brad McCrimmon, who died in a plane crash in Russia on his way to play their first game of the KHL season. It was 10 years ago on September 7th, 2011, 44 of the 45 people on board died. The lone survivor was the flight engineer. Now, that night in Toronto, uh, just a few months after the crash, Brad's wife, Maureen, was at your induction ceremony. And Mark, you began your speech by asking for thoughts and prayers for the entire hockey team. And you asked for full compensation for the families from the NHL and where were you when you heard the news about Brad? Was there compensation for the families? And what should we know about Brad and Maureen McCrimmon? Brad, without a doubt, was uh, my best friend from hockey. We, mm -hmm. uh, we talked at least two, three times a week, uh, every week. Uh, you know, I, we, we talked about, because uh, Maureen's from the New Jersey, the East Coast area. Uh, we talked about possibly buying a side-by-side uh, condo unit so we mm. could uh, be together in the summertime and uh, you know as part of the discussion and uh, so I mean that's how close we, in you know the years that we we played together here in Philadelphia we uh, we roomed together we were partners um, we had a, a ton of respect for each other uh, and we did a lot of fun things together um, mm. and uh, yeah so it was it was a devastating loss I was at home uh, I heard the news and then you start hearing conflicting reports where well, they heard, well, maybe he wasn't on the plane or some people survived, some didn't. Uh, but then the reality sets in. And I, I think the first phone call I had gotten was from our captain in Philly. It was Dave Poulin. Mm -hmm. And he was the one informed me of the news. And uh, yeah, I mean, and then, um, yeah, so it's obviously so devastating to, uh, uh, to Maureen and uh, to Liam and, and uh, Carlin. And uh, so they uh, uh, they went through a really tough time. I know when I was living in the Detroit area, I used to be able to get by their house every once in a while. I stayed in touch. And, um, I, I think uh, I think the last time I uh, communicated with Maureen was maybe about six months ago. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I should should keep up with a little better. But uh, yeah, they're, um, they've moved on. I know Liam is uh, he's a policeman now. So they're uh, but yeah, it's uh, to be at the age that the kids were uh, to lose their father uh, uh, just was so devastating, and uh, and it was so hard on Marine. And uh, I know how uh, passionate they were for each other, their love for each other, and their family. And yeah, it's just a, like so. I I mean, I lost a dear dear friend, uh, by far the best partner I had. We just had incredible uh, chemistry together with the three years we played together as partners we, uh, we were both uh, plus uh, 190 or 195 mm -hmm. so basically every time we played played a game together your team was leading one nothing uh, before the pucks even dropped so um, yeah that's uh, but we had each other's back and uh, but yeah, just a devastating loss, and and but he's such a popular guy. I said even uh, last night in Philly, I'm sitting with all our old teammates from back in the '80s, and 
uh, I'll guarantee you, fifty percent of the stories are the old the old beast. We're telling old beast stories, and uh, he will live with us forever. That's there's no doubt about that. Mark, thanks for sharing that story. Just a couple more questions. Your induction speech, you ended uh, your speech with a tribute to your dad who was sitting in the audience with your family. Your dad always thought it would be great if you could wear his number nine, and you wore number two for a, a lot of your career. But on that night, you pulled on his jersey number nine. You said you were so proud to be his son. So what was it like being one of Gordy's sons? You're asked this quite a bit. You know, earlier in the night, you said your mom, Colleen, taught you how to handle being uh, the son of one of the most famous hockey players, not only here in Detroit with those four Stanley Cups, but in all of hockey. And your mom, you said, taught you to set your own expectations, Mark, not anybody else's expectations. So when did you come up with the idea to wear the jersey, and why did it mean so much for you? I, I remember when I got the phone call. Uh, I mean, I was just, like, blown away. I didn't think I'd ever get in, and I got the phone call. I was shocked. And mm-hmm. uh, and the first thing I asked, they were they told me I'm in the Hall of Fame, this and that. And the question I asked, I said, when can I call my dad? So, uh, yeah, I mean, right off the bat. And, uh, well, I just I know how much it meant to him. And, like, we shared so much together. We played on the same line together. And uh, all the respect that I have for my father and – um, so then I, then I got down to, I said, okay, well, I, I'm going to have to write a speech. I got to do this. I got to do that. And the first thought I had was, well, I said, uh, I said, how can I honor my father? And, uh, cause it's not about any time I've ever won an award or anything like that. And I've mm-hmm. always told my kids, it's not about you. It's never about you. It's about the people around you. So, uh, uh, my mom wasn't here. My mom deserved every bit as much credit, if not more, than my than my dad for uh, me being a hockey player. Um, I learned from my dad by the way he conducted himself off the ice as a human being. And uh, yeah, and I, I consider Gordy uh, Dad to be the uh, the greatest player, and if not the greatest player, without a doubt. The, best father anybody could ever have and so uh, that was all about me trying to show my respect for my father and uh, Mm. and uh, and it's not often you get a chance to do it in the public eye I know a lot of times people you can do it in private you can do it in your own home but uh, I had a chance to show the world that uh, how much his his family appreciated him and and then I you know I kind of made a joke about it. I said, it was like six weeks after I retired. He said, man, I wish you would have worn my jersey one game. I said, wow, that's (laughs) bad timing. So, uh, and I said, so I said, this is the opportunity. I said, "Um, I'm going to put this jersey on and I'll I'll wear it for you. So my dad never asked me for much in his lifetime and if ever. So um, for him to say the words to me, I wish you would have worn my jersey once uh is was is monumental to come out of his mouth so uh uh yeah i just it was it was the best way that i could uh mm-hmm. show my father how much i loved him mark which brings us to the final uh, topic you're retiring from the red wings as head of pro scouting you're retiring after nearly 50 years in the game 48 years of playing teaching scouting all these lessons you've learned why now mark why such a low-key announcement and what will these next few months and years be like for you well, I, the bottom line uh, came to me where uh, I know when I was a player, uh, I used to, you know, I used to call dad the last few years that I played. And I'd say, dad, how do you know it's time to retire? Mm-hmm. And his answer would always be, well, you'll know. And I would say, dad, that's a <laughs> stupid answer. You're not helping me one iota. It's not a you'll know. 
I said, oh, okay, well, it was a couple years later, and, and uh, so in 95, we're playing, and uh, I'm headed home from a game that we, we won convincingly. I, I did my job, I, you know, as a 5-6 defense or whatever, and played my 16 minutes, and, um, you know, we won 5-1, whatever, and I'm driving home in the car, and I said, whoa, that's it. I said, wow, it just hit me. I said, I know it's time to give this game up. I just didn't have the same feeling anymore. Um, so I called dad. I said, well, I get it. Thanks for the advice. <laughs> and, um, you know, it really was as simple as that. And so I know last year, um, you know, I think with the, with the pandemic, with different things and, um, and I, and I know, like I said, uh, as a scout, I put every bit of mu as much effort into that as I did to playing. Uh, I know in the summer months where we, you know, we, you get two, three months off, uh, I used to work on my conditioning just so that I could be strong to scout 150, 155 games every single year. Um, and you're, you're going, you're going, you're going, you get a, maybe get a half a chance to set and relax. And uh, I just felt I couldn't make that commitment anymore. Um, and I know my longtime girlfriend here uh, at home, Sharon, she's been struggling with dimensions, been needed some help. And, uh, so I, I want to make sure I'm by her, by her side, but that's not the reason I, the, I retired. The reason I retired is just as when I was a player, mm -hmm. it hit me. I know I knew in my head last year by the time we hit April, I, I think I scouted 28 games in April last year, but it hit me, I think, halfway through that month. Like, this is just too much for me anymore. Um, I, and I'm not going to cheat myself. I'm certainly not going to cheat Steve Eisman or the Illich family and the Red Wings for what they've done for me. Um, they don't deserve me doing a half-assed uh, effort. Uh, they deserve me at my best. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just I, I think I'm at that stage in my life where uh, I think the 48 years, I think the uh, uh, the, the working is hard. And, uh, and, and I think most scouts work as high, hard as I did. Uh, guys work at it. They're passionate. They care. Uh, I was very passionate. I cared. I wanted to do my best. You don't want to make mistakes. I just think I got worn out. I think I got tired. I expressed that to Steve Eisman and, and part of our, I think Stevie was set back a little bit by, you know, what I told him, but, and then I brought up the same thing to him. I said, Steve, you were a player. Mm -hmm. I said, why did, why did you retire? And his words to me says, I get it. So, um, uh, but the Red Wings were great to me. Uh, uh, they offered me a little severance package, uh, which was very generous, wasn't expected. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I know, uh, you know, and the door's always open if I want to come back, watch games, do things. So I'm kind of, I looked at the schedule to see when they're going to play in the <laughs> Philadelphia and New Jersey. Or, well, I, nobody's here. Like, actually, I got a call from Kenny Holland. Kenny Holland invited me to come sit with him as well when the Oilers come to town. But Hey, they don't come around here till March, so I mean the season's <laughs> coming damn near over. So, but yeah, I just uh, uh, and even so, I was at a game last night uh, doing the Flyer alumni thing, and I don't think I watched but two minutes of it. I wanted to spend time with the people that I hadn't seen for a while. Uh, I still don't have my hunger back to go and see games, but I'm sure as winter sets in, I want to get in, go see some games, and uh, go appreciate the the skill and the ability of the players of today, and yeah. uh, that I had a chance to watch for so many years. But 
And but like I said, my, my primary concern right now is uh, to help with sharing at home. And I have some help with caregivers that, so I can get out and do things. But uh, she relies on me and, uh, and I need to be home. And uh, so that's my priority and uh, everything else and, and spending time with family. So my, uh, my grandson turned three last weekend. So uh, we had a party with uh, him. And then mid-September, I was at upstate Michigan. My daughter flew in with her family from Colorado and my uh, son who lives in Rochester Hills, his family, we, we went up, shared time with uh, Murray up at Bear Lake where we used to have a cabin years ago mm. and uh, some of Murray's kids were up there. So I'm trying to spend uh, my quality time with, with family that I basically haven't had much of a chance to do after all the, uh, over all these years. So I'm trying to take advantage of that, take advantage of uh, the quality, any quality time I have left with Sharon. And, um, you know, I'm taking life day by day and enjoying it and, uh, uh, and savoring the moments and uh, very thankful for the, you know, the past 48 years. And like mm -hmm. we talked about earlier, I, I made that move to go to Detroit uh, back in 92. And uh, uh, without a doubt, that was uh, the best, uh, best decision that I fell into ever in my lifetime. Mark, thanks again so much for your time today and talking about your family and people who've really made a difference in your life. All the best in your retirement. Great. All right, Mark. Thank you. Our thanks again to Mark Howe. And now back to Ted's mid-season grades and the forwards. And first, we'll hear from Vladislav Nemestikov. He's 29, an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. Right now, he's tied for fifth in team scoring with 20 points in 40 games. Here you are, Ted, asking Nemestikov about the next 40 games. As far as, can we talk about individually, but how about as a team as we reach the midway point? I mean, compared to last season, it's pretty obvious you guys have made some progress. I mean, you guys got to feel pretty good where you're at right now at the midway point. Yeah, I think we've made good strides, but there's definitely more things to clean up in our game. And I think as the season goes, we're, we're learning and, you know, we're learning to you know close out these close games and and stuff like that. So um, it's definitely you know good, but we can be better for sure. Now you've been, I mean, you've been around a long time, obviously, but even when, when like Jeff does put you on that top line, is that a little bit of a confidence boost too? Yeah, but yeah, it's it's obviously nice to you know jump to that top line. But as I said. Nothing uh, changes my mindset in, in my game. I just have to go out there and, and play the same way. So, Ted, what do you think the Wings will do with Nemesnikov before the trade deadline on March the 21st? And how much longer do you think the Wings will keep him, will keep Nemesnikov up on the top line with Larkin and Raymond, and then you have Bertuzzi on the second line with Fabry and Suter? I'm not going to tell you. I, I, it's a small sample size, but I like what I've seen with the two lines. I think mm -hmm. that stay in place here for a little while it does seem to give them more balance uh Nemetsikov's another guy I mean we talked about Mark Stalin defense I think Nemetsikov's done a fantastic job this season in a lot of different areas he's been sort of an unsung hero I tell you one thing my friend I would not be surprised if he stays and I think they'll extend him another year or two I think he fits in very well with this team I think he could he could be somewhat of a trade ship at the deadline, but I think he just is too valuable here. I think they'll keep him. Um, there's a lot of forwards that have, I mean, obviously we've talked so much about Larkin, Bertuzzi, Raymond. I think all three of them have done an outstanding job this season. Um, and the second line, Suter and Fabry. There's mm -hmm. been 
doubts there for a while, but I think overall they've done nice jobs. If there's one forward that has, has kind of disappointed, I think it's pretty obvious it's Philip Sedina. I think more was expected of him this season. Uh, the offense just hasn't come around, and the defense has kind of regressed. So if we're talking disappointments, I think Philip Sedina is probably in that part of the category. But overall, I mean, they, they still could use some more secondary scoring. I don't think there's mm-hmm. any about that. But then again, with those two lines that they might have going, that'll help a lot. And, Ted, as for the marks for the forwards, you gave Nemesnikov an A-. minus. A's to Bertuzzi, Larkin, and Raymond. Suter got a B as the second-line center. B-minuses to Fabry, Gagne, and Rowney. Rasmussen and Valeno received C's. C-minuses to Ernie and Smith. And Zadina with the D, as you mentioned, and Mitchell Stevens' incomplete grades. And finally, Ted, let's hear from Nicholas Lidstrom now, the seven-time Norris Trophy winner, was hired last week as the team's vice president of hockey operations. Here's your questions to Steve Eiserman and then Lidstrom. Hey, Steve, are you at all surprised that there's so many people off that 2002 Hall of Fame team that are in prominent management positions and whatnot? I mean, I mean, obviously a lot of strong personalities on that roster, a lot of guys who knew the game. I don't know, anything to that? I mean, there's so many guys that are in you know, big-time positions right now. I don't think I'm really surprised. Um, the majority of that group um, are really into hockey, like a passion for the game, watching it, uh, being around it. Uh, and and that shows in them wanting to continue on. There's, you know, uh, a lot of great players when they retire, a lot of hockey players, once they're done, they just want to go on and do something else, have other interests. But uh, uh, with this particular group, uh, you know, with you know Nick being on board, just the thing within our own organization, having having uh, you know Beaker involved, uh, Sean Horkov, uh, Chris Draper, amateur scouting. Um, one, they love the challenge. The wins and the losses matter. Uh, two, they're very competitive and they want to they want to you know be involved. They love the game and uh, a lot of a lot of uh, being in in management and coaching. Um, it's not real gr- glamorous. I mean, you all live it in traveling on airplanes and going around and um, you really got to love the game to be involved with it. And, and, and that group of guys, no, I'm not, I'm not really surprised because, you know, majority of them really, really into hockey and love being a part of it. Sounds good. Hey, Nick, so the timing was just right at, at this point in your, you know, at this point in your life to do this. Yeah, I, I felt it was the right time for me to, to get involved again. Uh, you know, my kids are getting older. Uh, I got one living at home, but, uh, you know, pretty soon he'll be out of the house as well. So I, I thought this was the right time for me to kind of a, the next challenge for me to, to do something different. And, and I always kept an eye on hockey, like I said earlier, and, and this was a great opportunity for me to do that. Ted, it's only been a week since Iserman hired Lidstrom. Were you surprised Lidstrom wanted the job, though? You covered both of their playing careers. How do you think Lidstrom will help the team in this new role as VP of Hockey Operations? Well, he seemed excited about it, Mark. He did mm-hmm. seem about it. He'll be based in Sweden, so it's actually a good situation for the Red Wings because he'll be able to monitor all the prospects in Sweden and Europe in general. Uh, somewhat surprised that there was some talk that he might be interested in something like this, but he didn't seem, when in his playing days, he didn't seem like the type that would be intrigued about something like this, but... He said he wants to get back into hockey. The kids are getting older. 
time for a new challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell you what, he was one of the smartest hockey players I ever encountered. So adding a guy like that to your front office can't hurt. That's for sure. Ted, thanks again for your time today on episode 65 of our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. For more Red Wings coverage, you can check out Ted's stories at DetroitNews.com. You can also find us on our Octopulse Facebook page on Twitter, Instagram, Instagram stories, and Snapchat. Thanks again for listening, everyone, for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our podcast. We'll talk to you soon. you soon.